Hi everyone, I'm Rena Ninen. You're looking at live pictures out of Charlottesville, Virginia. This is where violent clashes have broken out between with white that breaking news, a horrific scene in there. Charlottesville, Virginia, a white nationalist rally that descended into deadly violence and chaos. The images just coming in a car plowing into a crowd of demonstrators protesting against those white nationalists, a 32 year old woman killed. This is this is not the moment where you, you know, shut your doors and, you know, close all your windows and get on your knees and pray. No, you need to get off your knees and march. You need to get off your knees and become involved. Welcome back to the Global Inquirer. Normally on the show, we take a look at case studies that explain global trends. But after what happened here in Charlottesville, here at UVA on August 12th, when white supremacists came and marched not only on campus, but also on what is now known as Emancipation Park, we want to take a look at race relations here in Charlottesville and what UVA students can be doing in our community here in Charlottesville. Today I'm joined by Katya Sanko and Tyler Hinkle. Tyler is a Latin American Studies and History major, and Katya is a uh, Economics and Slavic Studies major. Katya, Tyler, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us. Glad to be here. And later we'll be joined by Balthazar Marin, and, and we'll be doing an interview with Mrs. Leslie Scott-Jones, a local Black Lives Matter activist. But to start, I want to talk about what was in question here. Why did the white supremacists come and march on Charlottesville? Uh, Katya, can you take a stab at this question? Yeah, Nico, that's a good question, and that's a good starting point. Um, so there's a lot of conversation and questioning as to where this dialogue is even coming from, where their frustration is even coming from. So in this podcast, what we're going to do is we're going to explore the, the history of the statues and the history of race relations in relation to the statues in Charlottesville. And so the standpoint that we're pretty much going to take is uh, we're going to look at statues as what they are. They're pieces of art, and we're going to examine artist's purpose uh, in the time that they were created. And so that should help explain uh, a lot of the, the questions that are, are held right now. Right. Like, in one way, statues are the way we memorialize history. So the statue really matters. And I want to talk about some of the, what, what the historical context of this statue was. How, how did this statue come about? Right. So the statue was put in place in 1924 uh, by a man named Paul McIntyre. And so first, we're going to give a little context on Charlottesville circa 1924. Right after the Civil War, right after the Emancipation Proclamation, a lot of African-Americans fled to an area called Vinegar Hill, which is an area right, si right outside of the downtown mall. Um, it's pretty much uh, where Preston Street meets West Main. Mm -hmm. It's right on the outskirts of the downtown mall and about two blocks from Emancipation Park. Right. Yeah. And so going into the 1910s, there were complaints from white officials of, quote, rowdy boys threatening the, the tourists in the area. And so, yeah, this was a racial slur and a direct racial attack on the black community that was nearby. So before World War One. These plans were put in place, and then they were stalled because of the war. After the war, however, Paul McIntyre had come in, and he he bought out a lot of land, and he paid a lot of money for the statues. Uh, yeah, I just want to jump in and say McIntyre. You might recognize that name from the McIntyre School of Commerce and a lot of other uh, like streets and and signs around Charlottesville. So, like, can you can you tell me a little bit more about uh, Mr. McIntyre? 
Right, so Paul McIntyre went to UVA for a semester, and then he went up to Chicago, joined the stock exchange, and became very wealthy. And with his new wealth, he came down to Charlottesville. He bought a lot of land and, of course, uh, erected the uh, Robert E. Lee statue along with three others in Charlottesville. You may have seen them or heard of them. The other ones are the Jackson statue in Jackson Park, the Conqueror of the Northwest, which is right at the entrance of the university by the hospital systems, and uh, another one where um, Lewis and Clark are on a horse and Sacagawea is cowering beneath them. And that's right as you're, you're walking into downtown. Exactly, yeah. Right, and, and so the statue that we're, we're really focusing on today is the Lee statue that is now in what we call Emancipation Park. Why would, why would McIntyre want to build a statue like this? So McIntyre's dad was the mayor of Charlottesville during the Civil War. And so after the battle at Rio Hill, he turned the town over to the Union Army. And so he kind of became a disgrace here because he was seen as a traitor to the South. Mm-hmm. And so Paul, you know, what he was probably trying to do was trying to, like, say, well, this is what my father stood for, so I'm trying to, like, reconcile it. But then at the same time, we have this movement known as the Lost Cause. And what the Lost Cause is can be easily summarized. The architects of the Lost Cause acted from various motives. They collectively sought to justify their own actions and allow themselves and other former Confederates to find something positive in an all-encompassing failure. They also wanted to provide their children and future generations of white Southerners with a quote-unquote correct narrative of the war. Right, and to, to provide some context here, in the modern context, you might recognize this as heritage, not hate. But back in the 1920s, it often manifested itself in erecting statues all around the country in both the North and the South. So now I, I sort of want to jump forward a little bit in history. Let's talk about the um, how influential the Brown versus Board of Education decision was here in Charlottesville and how it affected these race relations. So in 1954, the court case Brown versus Board, Board of Education occurred, and this really made people in Charlottesville very mad. And so in that same year, they had a referendum trying to figure out whether or not they should redo the downtown mall. This was kind of put off until 1964 when the actual referendum was held by the town council. And with it, the vote had a poll tax on it of $1.50. And so the people who could pay for this were really the wealthy uh, landed white elite in the the town. Because the people who lived in Vinegar Hill and the downtown areas, which were going to be renovated, didn't exactly have the money to spend on on a vote. And so what what was the final result of this vote? So the final result was that they were going to completely demolish Vinegar Hill and certain parts of the downtown mall in order to redo it and have this urban renewal, as they called it. And the people who were living there, the African-Americans, they had to move to what is now West Haven, you know, out of the town completely. Right. It's not that they didn't have to move. They were, they were forcibly removed out of their homes into these different communities like we see West Haven, which is right where UVA sort of meets downtown right where UVA starts pushing into downtown. So then from 1964, you know, Charlottesville has continued to change and race relations have really developed over time. And to look at these, how these race relations have developed over time, Balthazar and I sat down with Mrs. Leslie Scott Jones, who was born in in the Charlottesville area in the early 1970s. And, you know, she talks to us a little bit about race relations, especially between UVA and the Charlottesville community. Yeah, so Ms. Jones has worked with Black Lives Matter, a provisional chapter here in Charlottesville for the past three months. But before that, she's been a major figure in the Charlottesville theater community uh, for the past 12 years. She has worked on increasing the visibility and the exposure 
that uh, young black artists get here in the Charlottesville community. And her family has actually lived in the Scottsdale and the Louisa area since the 1700s, so this really is uh, her home. And during the course of our discussion, we touched upon what our role as UVA students is here. And, well, we hope you enjoy. I'm kind of curious, like, uh, beyond the statute, can you talk about your experience or knowledge and the broader history of sort of race relations in, in Charlottesville itself, you know, having grown up here and lived here for a, a lot of your adult life? Oh, well, I mean, Charlottesville and the surrounding counties, I mean, we're in the South, mm. you know? Right, right. So there's always been uh, racial tension. And for, I guess for a lot of it, it's been uh, a lot of my life, it's been self-segregation because, you know, the black community just doesn't, doesn't mingle that much. And when you add in UVA, you get the added tension of uh, students versus county. Right. Um, And when you factor in UVA's history of, inclusion and admittance of African-American students, (laughs) you know, that adds another layer of tension on top of it. You know, I mean, I had, I have family members that were domestic workers for the more wealthy white families in the area for years. Like that was their first job out of high school. So this is not something new to Charlottesville. This is not something that the neo-Nazis and white supremacists tried to create. This division and this racial tension has always been in Charlottesville. They were coming to make sure that it continued. You, um, you started to touch on kind of UVA's role and the role of the students um, and kind of what their role was in creating these tensions and exacerbating these tensions. Could you, could you just elaborate a little bit on what what exactly their role is and what UVA and the students can actually do to kind of alleviate some of these pressures. So, as well, you may not know, um, UVA received in like the 20s and 30s, uh, received direct money from the Ku Klux Klan. Um, so the connection to, to UVA and these racial tensions is longstanding. And when you factor in that most students that come here kind of fall into that without even realizing it, so they fall into this thought process that, oh, I'm only here for four years, like, this isn't really my town, I'm just here a student and then I'm gone. It it creates an automatic tension between the student population and the town population. Oh, I I completely agree. Like, I just noticed that even when you go, like, you know, you go out to town and, for example, like the local Biltmore bar, you walk up and they'll ask you for your, not only your ID, but you're also your student ID, and like it's it's pretty yeah. obvious what they're telling you when they want only students to enter, even though yeah. it's all in Charlottesville. Exactly. 
And I mean, and the businesses, they, they know that the student, that the university is their bread and butter, you know, they, they know that the regular town population could not support their business. So, you know, we, I can't blame them for, for making those distinctions, but the problem is, is that the students go along with those distinctions Mm -hmm. and they they make the choice not to get involved in local politics, in local activism. They make a choice not to get involved with fair pay for people who work at the university, who live there, who live in Charlottesville. They make a choice not to voice their opinion when things like like this come up. Like you know, we one of our demands is that UVA revoke the diplomas of Jason Kessler and and Richard Spencer. I mean, they're alums. Right, right. <laughs> you know, um, students can help with that. You know, use your student council. Write letters to President Sullivan. Like you can call and make things like that happen that prove your allyship. And I think students also need to realize that getting involved in local and city politics while you're in school is not, it's not a fleeting thing. You know, this will impact the lives of people who will continue to live there. It also will impact the next crop of students that come in. And these, the things that we're talking about, are not specific to Charlotte. Mm-hmm. You know, stop and frisk procedures, um, fair housing, all of these things are national problems. So it's not like they're only going to come in contact with issues while they live here. It's something that they're going to continue to see even after they leave UVA. And while I realize that, you know, part of being in college is, you know, to get away from your parents and finally make, quote unquote, your own decisions and, you know, learn to be an adult. You know, part of being an adult is being civically active. And where else are you going to learn how to do that if you don't start learning that while you're at college? That's something that you would also need to carry through the rest of your life, just like the the rest of the knowledge that you're learning there. Yeah, one of the things Nico and I have been discussing is kind of the value system of UVA students. We we come we tend to come into the university and treat it as a kind of a resort town. We were yeah. just wondering what you know what actions could we take both as students or the institution of UVA um, to kind of change our perception and our value system of how we view the local community. Well, I think it's really important for students to be involved with local civic organizations. So, you know, get involved with standing up for racial justice. Um, They have work. They will put you to work. Um, The other thing is you're living here for four years or possibly longer, depending on your program. Register to vote Mm -hmm. and vote in the city council and, and local elections. Because those, those are the people that are going to be making decisions about how you are treated while you're here. 
these are people that are going to be making decisions about housing availability and, you know, structuring of neighborhoods. I mean, that's all stuff that affects students while they live here. And you have the right to have a voice in those decisions. I'm just curious of your a quick take about the structuring of neighborhoods, because I know um, you know, UVA has really been expanding and, you know, where I live off of the corner has been pushing into a lot of the, like, West Haven, which is predominantly, like, African-American neighborhood. Do you want to, like, yes. provide any more commentary on, like, how UVA is, in essence, like, gentrifying Charlottesville? Well, but it's not just UVA. Mm-hmm. The Charlottesville business community has had a lot to do with the continued gentrification of black neighborhoods. And West Haven is not the only one. And while, while we understand the need for UVA to be able to house students, while we understand the need for businesses to be able to grow and expand, it is absolutely unacceptable to do either one of those by just displacing certain populations. And I think it's very telling that to neighborhoods that UVA and the city are targeting are predominantly people of color. That is, that is very purposeful because they know that these people do not have the agency to fight back, not on their own. So want- they then have to go to people outside of their neighborhood who have agency, who have um, power and influence and money mm-hmm. to speak for them. And I mean, you know, Vinegar Hill was bulldozed to make the downtown mall. There are only, I think, three buildings that were part of Vinegar Hill that still stand today. And they're trying to get rid of the vestiges of Vinegar Hill that are still left. You know, the movie theater um, couldn't continue paying rent. So Lighthouse Studio took over and Lighthouse has done a great job in keeping that building historical and, and, you know, using it to its best. And they do a great job at making sure um, what they do is always conscious of the historical significance of the building. The Jefferson School African American Heritage Center is another one that's in the original building for the Carver School, which was the first black school in Charlottesville. But the Cultural Center only, the Heritage Center only takes up one small piece of that building. The rest of the building is rented out to different organizations, which is fine. But it also speaks to how important the powers that be feel the black history of Charlottesville is. Right. You answer this question about what UVA students don't understand in your quote for Solidarity Seville, when part of it said, healing a community by a racist system whose tentacles have a stranglehold on every aspect of our lives is a constant concern. You know, not many UVA students understand how it really affects, like, for example, gentrification affects the community around them. But obviously, like, you've, you've listed out, you know, how these concerns every day are affecting the, like, African-American community here in Charlottesville. Yeah, and for a lot of students, I know that at some point, you know, a lot of students, 
when they graduate, they don't leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know, it's like some, 10%, of, 10% of students stay in Charlottesville after graduation, which is quite yeah. a substantial amount. So, you know, these are things that are going to continue to affect their lives, and then they have a different perspective because now they're not just here for college. This is now their home. This is where they are, you know, marrying and having children and interacting with the community at large. So when their perspective changes, you would hope that their involvement would change. But what I would say to you is that you're living there for four years. Your, your involvement should be the same whether you're there for four years or the rest of your life. And then, um, so both as a, a citizen and an activist, how have you seen Charlottesville improve, uh, change for the better, um, successes in both the social, political uh, arenas? I don't know if there's been a huge shift before July 8th. I think July 8th was a real awakening for a lot of people. Which, just to clarify, that was the second uh, march held in Charlottesville. Right. That mm-hmm. was, yeah, that was when the KKK from North Carolina came mm-hmm. for their rally. And I was, I was pleasantly surprised that so many townspeople came out and stood and said, no, you, you don't get to do this in my home. It was, um, yeah, it was very powerful for I me was, too. I I also went to the counter protest, and it was. Yeah, I'm I'm a little dismayed that there weren't that there were so many people, clergy members, certain clergy members, and um, certain departments of the university, even after Jade. J- that thought that the response to A12 should be different. Um, there, and you know, even President Sullivan's letter um, that she sent out urging people to stay home. You know, <laughs> history tells us that ignoring fascism, ignoring hatred, does not mean hatred goes away. Mm -hmm. The only way to combat that is to stand up and say, no, that's not what we do here. So do you see this as um, a watershed moment or more of uh, something that might and could be forgotten by the Charlottesville community? Oh, we are not going to let it be forgotten by the Charlottesville community. (laughs) I'm glad that's not going to happen. it, this is a watershed moment. This is um, the new civil rights movement. And, you know, and Charlottesville has become ground zero. And I think that the university needs to, needs to catch up and, and realize that Charlottesville is ground zero. And they, and they need to pick a side because there is no, there is no room for being neutral. Ignoring it is not the answer. I mean, you, you have to get involved. You have to, this is, this is not the moment where 
you, you know, shut your doors and, you know, close all your windows and get on your knees and pray. No, you need to get off your knees and march. You need to get off your knees and become involved and speak out for those people who do not have the agency to do it for themselves. So, Balthazar, after listening to the interview, you know, what do you make of it? What do you think that UVA students can or should be doing? Well, I just want to emphasize something that Ms. Jones said, and it's that as UVA students, we are the ones with agency. We are the ones with the privilege, and more or less, we are the ones with money. We have the ability to enact this change, and it comes to a matter of what our values are. How much do we actually care? If you're content with just you know, posting on social media and not really taking a stand, well, that's fine. Um, at least you're doing something, but... If you think there's more to life than just staying at UVA, going out to the corner on Thursdays and Fridays, then stand up for what you believe in. You know, donate an hour of your time. Donate $5. Sign up for some listservs. It can be as little or as much as you want, but as long as you're doing something. Yeah, one thing that she also touched on was that even though we're only, the majority of us are only here for four years, it is you know, a very substantive time in our life. The first time that many of us can vote. The first time that we can actually, you know, exercise our civic duty in voting and going out and trying to support a cause. And yet many of us, like you said, are sitting behind their desks and posting things on social media. And that's just not the way that college students can be going about issues of, you know, social justice or whatever it may be issues that they feel passionate about. Exactly. We need to get past our high-minded rhetoric and um, start engaging with the opposite side as well, you know, and not just trying to belittle it and frame the other side's argument, but actually seriously engaging, as well as, you know, standing up for what we believe in, because what's talk without a little action? Right. I mean, you know, I'm guilty of this, too. I haven't been the most active person in Charlottesville, and maybe, unfortunately, it's taken such a horrible event like what happened on August 12th to make me realize that you know, this is this is it. Like this is you have to be the one that goes out and enacts change. You can't just sit down behind the desk. So thanks for tuning in everyone. I want to give a big shout out to our researchers, Balthazar, Katya, and Tyler, and of course Mrs. Leslie Scott Jones for the interview. If you want to find out more resources, you can check the link below or check on our Facebook page where we have provided plenty of resources for how UVA students can get more involved. And we look forward to the rest of the semester.